Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. An ongoing conversation with ministry leaders about embracing complexity and uncertainty with joy and faithfulness. Hello, everyone. I am Jennifer Watley Maxell, and I am so happy and excited to be here with my colleagues, Amy Valdez Barker and Beth Daniel. And we are having a really good discussion, really about what it means and what it looks like and our experiences of being women in ministry. It's been such an edifying conversation and we're going to give you a peek into it. And I want to start off by saying that it's really, to me, an important conversation, not just for women to have, but also for men who care about women. Because my hope, at least, is through these conversations that men who care about and love women and girls, that you'll see ways that you can come alongside and care for the women in your lives a little bit better. So today we're going to actually start off talking about confidence and confidence is something that I have struggled with a lot as a woman period who, before I came into ministry had three different careers from working on Capitol Hill to being in higher education and in all those places struggling with confidence being told when I speak too directly or when I speak too loudly or when I speak too powerfully, that there is something wrong with the way I am showing up as confident. However, also being told when I am not showing up that way, that I need to be more powerful and that I need to be more assertive and that I need to be more authoritative. And so we've been looking at the book on our best behavior, the seven deadly sins and the price women pay to be good by Elise Lonin. And she has a really interesting quote. She says, reticence to express confidence is born out of research by Christine Exley and Jude Kessler, who found that even when women know they performed equally to men, they were loath to profess it because we have been trained not to. And I think we see this a lot in seminaries. We see how we can be in class with people whose voices are elevated and they can talk in tones about content in certain ways. And the minute a woman speaks up and speaks equally as powerfully, There are people in the class that get offended and say that what she's saying is invalid just because of the way she says it. And so I shared my experience. What are some of your experiences with confidence, your ability to be confident and the way it's been received? Well, this word confidence resonated with me a lot and I've reflected on it. And I don't mean to throw my mother under the bus in this conversation because I love my mother dearly. I come from a very poor area in South Wales where my mother was a stay-at-home mother and my father was a coal miner. And she was following the pattern that her parents followed. And I remember distinctly, and it was at church, and we were auditioning for a nativity play. And you have to realize there were probably 10 of us, right? And my mother kind of dismissively said about one girl, she is just so confident, but it was not a compliment. Mm -hmm. And that just stuck with me clearly my whole life, that confidence was seen as bad, that you thought that you were better than, or you were trying to get ahead. And so my whole life, I've tried to wrestle with this idea of confidence. I think now I would help her with the language. What she meant was cockiness. 
there's a difference between confidence and cockiness. Though I would argue that both of those are accepted in men more than they're accepted in women. But that idea of confidence being a bad thing is something I've struggled with my whole life. And so I've kind of sought success on the quiet, just not making too many waves. And my guess is I'm not the only one who struggles with that. If someone argued with me about my abilities, my skills, I could go toe-to-toe. I have no problem standing up for myself or advocating myself in a conversation. But in life, just kind of rather stay under the radar. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Beth, because I had a professor tell me <laughs> once when I came in and had this conversation with him, and um, and I was confident that I was potentially going to get this position And his comment was like, yeah, you were like really cocky about wanting this position. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) I had never even thought that that was a bad thing. And the way he portrayed it was that it was so bad that I was coming across as cocky and thinking that I was absolutely going to get this position. And it surprised me because I think most of the steps in my own life, it was like, oh, great, you're doing wonderful, you know, and keep stepping forward. And until that moment, it was like, you mean being confident is bad? (laughs) You know, all of a sudden it was like, but, you know, I've worked so hard to get to these positions or I've worked so hard to achieve this or that. Why is it bad for me to think that I do deserve this because I have worked hard or I know I've got the skills about that? But to even say that out loud feels like, oh man, she's cocky, right? Like it just feels so wrong to even be able to say that out loud. And everything in me and everything around me says, no, you can't say that out loud. You can't think you want that or you can't think that you've earned that because that's not for you, right? Like everywhere else tells us it's not for you. Yeah, one of the things that the study I referenced earlier that Exley and Kessler did, they conclude the study by saying this, self-confidence is gender neutral, the consequences of appearing self-confident or not. Portraying confidence does not work for women. So telling women to simply be more confident is twisted. And this resonated so much with me because again, it shows this kind of double bind that women are always in. And the ways that we have to always do this internal calculus of where am I? What ratio of self-confidence is enough and what is too much? And we've all been in a situation where we've kind of shown up to run the meeting or the service or whatever it is we've been called to do. And as we are kind of navigating the space, doing this internal calculation of tone, body language, like what's the right combination of self-confidence in this particular space to exhibit so that I don't offend anyone. And this idea of offense, and it's not just a desire, like we're somehow weak because we don't want to offend people. But the reality is when we offend people, there are real consequences to what that looks like. I remember one time I was thinking about accepting a new position and we were in the salary negotiation part of our discussion. 
And I had done research within the institution and outside to see what the field of benefits and compensation was for this particular position. And they had lowballed me going in. And so I, you know, I, my husband had coached me up and I was ready. And so I went in there with all my stuff, you know, I said my piece and all of that. And a couple of days later, the person who I was working with came to me and said, well, you've really set our group ablaze. And I said, well, why is that? And she said, well, a lot of people were offended by your willingness to discuss benefits and compensation so blatantly. And I was like, but that's what this meeting was about. I mean, that was the whole purpose of the meeting. But what I found out later was that it was my confidence in coming in and saying, hey, I really want to work here. I think y'all are great. But I also realized what I bring to the table. And because I know what I bring to the table, I'm not going to take any less than A, B, and C. And so even though they eventually ended up getting where I wanted to be, it was such a process that I ended up not taking the job because I was like, if I have to do this level of mitigation of self just to be able to say, I want to be paid what everybody else who's done this job is paid. I can't be in this environment. And there's so many people that don't have that ability to say, I don't want to be in this environment. And so the work we do is that chipping away at our confidence and coming in under the radar, to use your language, Beth, so that we don't offend anybody with who we are. And it's interesting that as women in ministry, we should be more confident than anyone given the message and the work that we do. Because we truly believe it. We hold fast to it. We want others to know about it. Surely by definition, we need to be walking around in our calls, in our ministry, confident in who we are, what we've been called to be and say and do. And yet there's this little voice, like you said, just chipping away, keeping us in check, trying to find the right balance. It's hard, but seems so ridiculously unnecessary. And yes, I think it's a reality for many women. Yeah, the idea of regulating yourself constantly, it's so real. It's part of our everyday. And unless we're aware of it, we can't address it. And I think that because you've done it so much, I mean, until you said that, Jennifer, I was like, wait a second, I do that in every environment I walk into. I'm regulating. Am I being self-deprecating enough? Am I being confident enough? Am I stepping back enough? Am I making myself small enough in this space? Or am I coming across as too large, you know? And it's depressing that we have to do that in these environments and not just being able to show up as who we are, who God has called us to be, and to be able to do that with bold enthusiasm, that confidence that God has put in us. And confidence is seen as such a great trait in man, whether they're in ministry or not. It's seen as a good thing. But women are labeled quickly as difficult, strong coffee, full of themselves, right? Even if they're exhibiting all the same traits, all the same leadership skills, all the same abilities as a man who is doing the same work, we're just judged differently. And I think we absorb that and try to work around it. And despite my best efforts, 
I still care and pay attention to that. And I wish I didn't. And I hope that through the generations that will become more and more diluted as it has for me and my girls. But there is this idea that confidence is bad. There's still an element of that for women. And I'm wondering what we do about that. So I think one of the things that I've experienced is helpful is when we look at the biblical text and we look at so many of the women in the text who have traditionally been characterized as problematic, that when we, particularly those of us as women, look at the text with fresh eyes and we're able to strip away some of the language that has been put on these women in the text, that we begin to see ourselves fully in the text. We begin to see ourselves differently because I think a lot of the behavior that we ascribe to as being problematic is because it's been preached to us that these women in the Bible got out of their place or these women in the Bible who didn't have good morals or values. And that becomes what we don't want to be. For me, I preach a lot of women in the Bible, and a lot of times it takes some undoing to really unearth the story from the tradition and to realize that the tradition that has been preached isn't even in the text. When we look at the biblical text and we put it in context, the tradition that has been attached to it as gospel is not the truth. And so I think one of the ways that we can do that is when we look to these biblical exemplars and we retell their stories in a way that I think is more balanced and a way that doesn't just continue to propagate some of these traditional ways of looking at these women who have just been mischaracterized. Yeah, Jennifer. I mean, it's like we put on the cultural lens the lens that we see the world through in front of the text and that often skews the text and its beauty. And so it makes me think about like, who are the confident women in the Bible who you just uphold and get excited about? Like for me, I love reading Lydia and remembering who she was. Or I mean, there's so many good biblical scriptures and stories that just get us excited about the beauty of these women who stepped out and up in their places and were very confident about who they were and about their successes. And Jesus noticed. Oh, yeah. The disciples noticed. And it was a good thing. It was beautiful. Yeah, I have many. One of my favorite is the Queen of Sheba. And one of the reasons I love her is because she recognizes her own wisdom, first of all. And then she recognizes Solomon's wisdom and she leaves her kingdom and goes to test him with hard questions. And Jesus then recognizes her when he retells about what faithfulness looks like. And so again, this wasn't a woman who went to Solomon begging and pleading and scraping. She was confident. She was a queen in her own right. She was a leader in her own right. And there are so many people that don't even know the Queen of Sheba, who she was and what her legacy is in terms of the Christian faith at all. Absolutely. And I I think we in the church do need to do a better job of retelling the stories as they're written and recognizing that 
many, if not most of the women were incredibly bold in what they had to do. Even to the hemorrhaging woman, we have this idea that she was desperate, and I'm sure she was. She also had a lot of confidence and faith to do what she did in front of everyone else. That is not a shrinking violet kind of woman, right? But we kind of skip by it straight to what Jesus did, but she took an incredibly brave step. So I do think there are a lot of stories that we can retell. I also think as leaders, we need to look out at our congregations and communities and recognize people and lift them up, those good leaders, those confident leaders, those strong, cold women, and put them in positions that they need to be. Regardless of how your church is structured, they are women that can do more than be in hospitality. And that's not to dismiss the gift of hospitality. It is really important, but not all women have the gift of hospitality. A lot of them have very different gifts, and we need to be in the business of recognizing that and getting them into the places that we believe God could use them greatly for the good of the church and for the good of the kingdom. You asked how we come at this work of confidence, and I think you're so right, Beth, that when we as leaders affirm and recognize those in our congregations that are gifted, that have certain abilities, I think that goes a long way to helping to build confidence. You know, Jesus really did affirm people in their being and not for the superficial things that we sometimes recognize people for. But I think you make such a point that sometimes we underestimate as clergy people, as pastors, our ability to affirm the humanity of those people in our congregation, particularly those who are struggling. I know sometimes when I was young, just having another adult who didn't have to love and affirm and be concerned about me to one, see me and say, oh, I really enjoyed the way you did whatever. You're such a leader or you're such a great orator or something. The way that we can speak life into the people that we're into community with, I think we underestimate that. But I think that goes a long way into helping to build each other's confidence, not just in ministry, but just in all aspects of our lives. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org. 